This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The first show features a wife who teaches her husband to shoot a gun for the sole purpose to make him number one in the crime world. Let's listen to This Is Your FBI and the episode entitled Kidnapping Shotgun Hadley. This is your FBI. your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security, and to the Equitable Society for financial security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Tonight, the story of a crime against the home. Kidnapping. Just as it takes a special type of criminal to become a Hitler, so it takes a special type to become a kidnapper. Someone who refuses to face the fact that eventually all kidnappers and those who aid them will be hunted down by the FBI until they are dead or brought to justice. Such criminals aren't born, they're made. Created by environment, by society, by circumstance. And in one case, a kidnapper was created by something else, too. By his wife. Sally. Hmm? Ain't that enough for today? No. That last round was... No, Frank. I'm tired. Then rest for a minute. He's dragging me out here every day for two weeks. I'm a good enough shot. For small-time hold-ups, maybe. That bank job was no... You don't have to tell me about that bank job, Frank. That was my idea. Just like everything's been my idea. Okay. If it's all yours, take the gun, too. Darling, darling. You know I didn't mean it that way. Mm. You know I plan everything just for you. Besides, I couldn't do it all myself. If you could, you would. Don't be silly. I don't know what the point of all this target practice is anyway. It's going to give you a reputation. With two stretches behind me, I've got one. Like a hundred others. But you're going to be bigger. Bigger than all of them. Bigger? Yes. What's the point of being anything if you can't be the biggest, the best, if you can't be number one? (laughs) And that's what we're going to be, Frank. Number one. You're crazy. Wait and see. Look. A couple more bank jobs and we can be driving on gasoline for the rest of our lives. Uh-huh. That's what my father must have said to my mother. 
And what were they? Petty crooks. Now they have to live on what I hand out to them. No, darling. We're going to do it right. One real job. And then we quit. What one real job? Never mind. Come on. When we're ready, I'll take you. Sally! Darling, have I ever given you a bum, dear? Well... Have I? No, but... Now empty both barrels like a good boy, and we'll call it quit for today. Professional criminals don't work alone, they help each other. The most successful are those who get the most help, and they get it through their reputations in the crime world. Sally Hadley learned this the way most people learn things, through experience. She made her husband an expert with a sawed-off shotgun, and then she made herself his press agent. She gave him a name, Shotgun Hadley. She passed out shells as souvenirs. She planned robberies and holdups, saw that he carried them out perfectly. She built up his reputation, and then she was ready. Ready for really big games. Ready for that hot Saturday night in July when an Oklahoma millionaire named Walter Montgomery was playing cards on the screen porch of his home with his wife and his best friend. There's no point in playing with you, Henry. You always win. You and Walter just let me win because I'm your guest, right, Walter? I'm sorry, what'd you say, Henry? Oh, Walt. I thought I heard a car stop down below. You always think you hear something nobody else does. How about another hand? Not for me. Me either. I'm about ready for bed. Oh, why don't you... Sit down and keep quiet. What are you... Sit down. The shotgun works. Which one of his Walter Montgomery? What do you want to know? Never mind. Which one of his Montgomery? Which one of them's your husband, lady? Okay, I'll take both of them. But you can't... Shut up. Come on on your feet, boys. We're going for a little drive. Ever want to see your husband again, stay away from the phone, Mrs. Montgomery. I told you the shotgun works. One hour later, a blue sedan stopped at an intersection 12 miles from Oklahoma City. A man was shoved out and his empty wallet thrown after him. Then the car continued on its way with Walter Montgomery blindfolded on the back seat. Just about that time, Mrs. Montgomery was putting through a long-distance call. She knew kidnapping was a federal offense, and following the Attorney General's advice to the public, she telephoned Mr. J. Edgar Hoover in Washington. In less than 45 minutes, special agents assigned by Mr. Hoover were on their way. They took no immediate action. Not even four days later when Mrs. Montgomery received a typewritten letter. The first of a series of letters. The first of a series of ransom notes. There was this note from my husband enclosed in the letter. Are you sure that's his handwriting, Mrs. Montgomery? Yes. He, he said to give them the $200,000. They certainly set a high price. Did they give you instructions how to pay? Well, the letter says to watch for an ad in the paper. And then take an ad yourself? Yes. Then it told you not to notify the police? Yes. Not to take down the serial number of the bills? And have only, oh, used $20 notes? How did you know? We haven't been reading your mail. It's just that kidnapping notes always follow the same pattern. Who do they want as the intermediary to deliver the money? Henry, Mr. Carroll. He's my husband's best friend. Well, if they put that ad in the paper tomorrow and you answer immediately, your husband should be back in the first of next week. Unless something happens. What do you mean? Mr. Skyler. Yes? I want to cooperate with the government. I know kidnappers are the worst kind of criminals. 
Did you see, I... Well, I want my husband back. Please don't do anything. Mrs. Montgomery, there's no need for you to worry. The first concern of the FBI in any kidnapping case is to get the victim home safely. We want to see your husband back here as much as you do. And we won't make one single move that will stand in the way of his coming back. Thank you. Three days later, arrangements were made to have a satchel containing $200,000 thrown from the observation platform of a speeding train at a certain spot in Oklahoma. Although no one knew it, the serial number of every bill was taken down and listed. And nine days after he was kidnapped, Walter Montgomery came home to his wife. He hadn't had much sleep. He was very tired, but he was safe. He was alive. He was home. As soon as he'd recovered from the shock and rested, he was interviewed by the FBI. Ah, uh, Mr. Montgomery. Yes? What was the last thing you saw before being blindfolded? Why, uh, a lot of lights. Must have been some kind of plant. Well, there was a power plant near where they dropped Mr. Carroll. It could have been a power plant. All right. Now, on the way to the house, did you hear anything? Well, uh, one or two cars passed us, but... Oh, yes. We must have passed an oil field. Why? I heard the sound of the pumps. And uh, twice, I remember smelling gas. Well, then you passed two oil fields. That's right. Now, how long after you passed that second field would you guess it was before you got to the house? Oh, I don't know for sure. Not long, though. Fifteen minutes? Oh, less. I think uh, about ten, say. Good. Now, did the car drive right up to the house, or did they stop for anything? They uh, stopped to open a gate. How do you know? I heard a creak. Mm -hmm. And then they drove right up to the house? No, they drove into some kind of a building. Mm -hmm. A barn, it must have been, because I could smell hay. Well, then the house is probably a farmhouse. Yes. Yes. Was it close to the barn? It was exactly twelve steps away. I counted that. Glad you did. Now tell me, did you have to go up any steps to the house? Three. And they creaked. What happened when you got inside? Well, they put cotton in my ears and taped it over with adhesives so I couldn't hear what they said. Mm -hmm. But every morning I could hear a rooster crow, and then about, uh, oh, less than a minute afterward, the sound of an airplane passing over the house. An airplane? Did you hear it every day? Yes. Uh, no. One day it didn't come. Which day? Well, I, I don't know. But it rained that day. That was Sunday. That's the only day it rained while you were away. And that's the only day you didn't hear the airplane. That's right. I don't know whether this is of any aid to you. At the time, I knew I should try to remember everything that happened so I could be of assistance. Mr. Montgomery, I think you've practically drawn us a map right to that farmhouse. For the FBI, anything can be a clue. The lights on a power plant, the smell of an oil field, the sound of an airplane. Using the information gotten from Mr. Montgomery, special agents mapped a circle, a ring around the approximate location of the farmhouse. They went to the airlines, checked schedules, checked flights, checked what line did not run a plane on that one Sunday. They figured over approximately what area the early morning flight passed and the ring around the farmhouse grew smaller, tighter, closer. 
Now the FBI agents moved into the ring looking for the farmhouse. Looking for a farmhouse with a gate wide enough for a car to pass through. A farmhouse with a barn only 12 steps away. 12 steps away from a porch with three creaking stairs. What do you want? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know there was anyone home. Well, you can see I'm home, can't you? Yes. What do you want? I'm representing a real estate company in Tulsa. We're looking over farms in this neighborhood with a view to buying them. You want to buy this farm? Does it belong to you? Well, it belongs to my daughter, Mrs. Hadley. Sally Hadley? Yes. You know her? I've heard of her. Oh. Do you know where I can get in touch with her? I can speak for her. She was going to give me the place anyways, now. Mm -hmm. You want to buy it? Well... Looks like the right place to me. But I'll have to have some of the men in my company look it over this afternoon, if it's all right with you. Oh, it's fine with me. You'll be here. Yeah, I'll be here. As long as I can count on seeing you later. Oh, don't worry. You can count on seeing me. Definitely. We momentarily close the Federal Bureau of Investigation file of the case of Shotgun Hadley. We will return to this case in just a moment. In pioneer days, Americans looked to their neighbors for security. When Mrs. Brown was sick abed, neighboring wives came over to help out. If her husband died, neighbors saw to it that she and her children had clothes, food, and shelter. But as the nation grew in population, as life became more complex... This neighborly security was no longer sufficient. To take its place, in the year 1859, a group of Americans founded the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Today it has grown into a strong mutual organization in which each member enjoys the advantages of association with 3,200,000 good neighbors who have pooled their dollars to protect each other. The equitable management then puts these dollars to work in ways that benefit the entire nation. Equitable funds encourage home ownership. They lend the farmer a helping hand. They finance great industries on which our prosperity depends. So is it not right and proper to speak of life insurance funds as one of democracy's greatest assets? By serving its members, the equitable serves America. And now, back to the file on Shotgun Hadley, Kidnapper. Small things, but enough for the FBI special agents to move swiftly on the trail of the kidnappers. The parents of Sally Hadley were arrested and jailed. Throughout the nation, the FBI sent a list of the serial numbers on the ransom money, sent a description of the kidnapper, sent the call, find Shotgun Hadley. To the FBI, Frank Hadley was another criminal who had to be caught. To the nation, he was public enemy number one. To his wife, with whom he shared a hotel suite in St. Louis, Shotgun Hadley was a frightened fool. We don't have to get out of here. Now sit down and cool off, darling. Sally, they've got the serial numbers of this dough. Shall I mix you another drink, too? 
They've picked up some of the bills already. Frank, will you sit down and relax? Sure. Sit down and wait for them to clap us in jail along with your mother and father. They're not going to put us in jail because they're not going to catch us. They will if we don't get on the move. We'll move. But there's something we've got to do first. What? Sit down. What for? Come on. That's it, darling. Now, you're going to write a letter. A letter? Mm-hmm. Here's a pen and paper. Just write what I tell you. Who's it to? Just write what I tell you. Dear Mr. Hoover. What? Are you... Go con- on. Dear Mr. Hoover, while you and your men are knocking yourselves out... Sally, no, change you? that to wearing yourselves out. I am living on the fat of the land. Go on, darling. Wait a minute. What's the rest of this going to say? Oh, it's going to say that he'll never catch you because you're too good for it. What? You did this alone, all by yourself, without anyone's help. And you did. What are you trying to do, tie a noose around my neck? Frank, this is a confession. he's got my poor mother and father in jail, and I've got to get them out. For having me confess? Look, he knows you did it anyway. This will just clear my folks and show him that you're not afraid of anything. It'll just put me in jail instead of them. Oh. You're really afraid of your own shadow, aren't you, darling? Sally, listen. You listen to me. Now, when I married you, I thought you were a man. I thought you were a man who could be the number one boy in this country. I thought you had guts. What are you afraid of? You are number one now. You've got to show them that. You've got to show them that they're the ones to be afraid. You've got to show them that you're too big to touch. Because you are. You are. Sally, look. If we mail the letter from here, we... We're not going to. I'm going to send it to a friend of mine in Chicago and have her mail it from there. When they get it, they'll see how big you are. They'll see you don't care. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then tomorrow, we're going to buy another car, and before they even have a chance to look at the bills, we'll be on our way. Okay, okay, honey, okay. You just don't realize what a big man you've become. Now, what have you written? Here, Mr. Hoover. While you and your men are... Wait. Wait, I've got a wonderful idea. An idea that will top the whole thing off. What now? Hoover may think the letter is in some crime. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to put your fingerprints on it, darling. What? You're going to prove this is straight from Shotgun Hadley. Chicago, from Dallas, from Denver, from cities all over the West come letters to the FBI. And as the letters turn up, money turns up too, ransom money. $20 bills reported by alert citizens to the FBI. $20 bills that put the FBI closer on the trail of Frank and Sally Hadley. But Sally Hadley has gotten impatient. Leaving her husband in a small house near Memphis, she buys a cheap gingham dress, a red wig, and a second-hand car. And with complete unconcern, drives right back to Oklahoma. On the way, she gives a lift to two hitchhikers. A man and his eight-year-old daughter. I guess your little girl is asleep, Mr. Butler. Yeah. She was awful tired. Of course she was. Well, we'll get her a good dinner as soon as we get to town. Well, you've been so nice, I couldn't let you do anything else first, ma'am. Oh, don't be silly. I want to. Besides, she reminds me of my own little girl. Oh, do you have one? Yes, by my first husband. He died, poor man, and 
Frank, that's my second husband. He won't let my little baby live with us. Oh, that's terrible. Well, he isn't a very nice man. He... Mr. Butler. Yeah? Can I trust you? Of course. I... I'm in terrible trouble, and I've got to speak to somebody. I've just got to get help from someone. Ma'am, if there's anything at all I can do... Well, maybe you won't say that when you know the truth. I'm Sally Hadley, and my husband is Shotgun Hadley. The kidnapper? Yes. Gee. I didn't know what kind of a man he was when I married him. I... Well, it's a little too late for that now, isn't it? But he's done terrible things to me, too. To my little girl, to my family. Oh. Because of him, my poor mother and father are in jail now. Mr. Butler, I just got to get them out. But the papers... I know, I know, but anything my father and mother did, he made them do at the point of that shotgun of his. Mr. Butler, will you do me a favor, please? Will you you just go to Oklahoma City and see my lawyer for me? Sure, You see, I can't go because the police are looking for me. But I want him to get a message to the FBI for me. I want him to tell them that... If they will leave my mother and father, I'll tell them where my husband is. I'll be glad to take your message, Mrs. Hadley. Uh, Only... Only what? Well, my little girl... Oh, don't worry about her. I'll keep her here with me. Why, she'll be as safe as my own little girl would be. Skylar speaking. Oh, yes. No, not just yet. I'm trying to reach the Bureau in Washington. May I call you back in a few minutes? Fine. Goodbye. Mrs. Hadley's lawyer again. Pretty anxious for our answer, isn't he? Yes. Suppose he seriously thinks we're going to release the mother and father, Skylar. I don't know. Maybe he's as crazy as Sally Hadley. There's a sweet double-crosser for you. <laughs> Ready to sell out her own husband. Well, if he's half as tough as his reputation, I don't blame her. I wonder if she was crazy enough to come back here to Oklahoma. She might be. One sure thing, though. We know she hasn't been to a lawyer's office. I don't think we can stall him much longer. We don't have to. He's covered by now, and as soon as we find Sally Hadley's intermediary, we'll find her. And her sharpshooting husband. Right. Will you get Mrs. Hadley's lawyer for me, please? Sally Hadley, waiting in an auto camp outside Oklahoma City for the message from a lawyer, gets frightened. And so Sally Hadley, with a little child as her protection, runs to her husband, who is now in Memphis. Meanwhile, special agents of the FBI located a man in Oklahoma City. The man who was Sally Hadley's intermediary. The man whose eight-year-old child is on her way to a gangster's hideout. Well, now we've got a little eight-year-old girl to worry about, Skyler. Yes. I just hope that Hadley woman is there. Hello. Skylar. You did? Or see when? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see what you can pick up. Well, that's that. What? I had the woman cleared out of the auto camp. Where's she going? I don't know. Well, we'd better send out a call for a woman driving with an eight-year-old girl. A woman with a red wig. Right. She's probably going back to her husband. That's my guess, too. And they'll probably try to move with the little girl and... Scholar speaking. Yes. Let's go on. Got it. Right. Right. That was Memphis. Oh. 
Two days ago, a second-hand car dealer down there brought in a flock of those $20 bills. And a man who sells wigs brought in another. I see. And at 4 o'clock this afternoon, a liquor dealer brought in another. Well, I guess I'd better phone my wife and tell her I won't be home for dinner again. Yes, I think we'll be having dinner in Memphis. At a quarter to four, one September morning, a little girl sat on the Memphis Railroad Station. A frightened little girl clutching a ticket that would take her back to her father. But a little girl who remembered that she had had supper in a frame house near the edge of the city. And that she had seen a shotgun in that house. At 5.35 that same morning, agents of the FBI and local offices surrounded the frame house. They were armed with guns. With guns to battle against the murderous reputation of a man called Shotgun Hadley. It was just beginning to get light when two of them quietly entered the house. They stood for a moment in a dark room. To the left were two doors. Two closed doors leading to two bedrooms. Leading to Shotgun Hadley. They opened the first. Keep quiet. Who are you? Federal Bureau of Investigation. Federal Bureau? Oh, thank God. Listen, he's in there. Get him. He ruined my life. That was Sally Hadley, the woman who had planned the kidnapping. The woman who later tried unsuccessfully to convince a jury that she was innocent. The woman who cared no more for her husband than she did for his gun. But she had built up a tremendous reputation for him. And now, as the FBI agents moved to the door of his bedroom, they checked their guns. They tried to anticipate the blast of that shotgun. And then, in a quick movement, they rushed the door to Frank Hadley. There was no battle, no fight, no shooting. Frank Hadley, kidnapper. Frank Shotgun Hadley, public enemy number one. Stood against the wall, his hands raised high, his knees shaking. Don't shoot, Jimin. Don't shoot. That was the beginning of the popular use of the phrase G-men. G-men meaning government men, meaning FBI agents. And that was the first and last time Frank or Sally Hadley tried a kidnapping. No kidnapper in this country has ever tried twice once the FBI has caught them. Because the FBI is the largest protective force in the world. You see, it doesn't consist only of a director and a Washington headquarters of field officers and special agents. It also consists of you and all those like you. In every case, it's the cooperation of the people which enables the FBI to find the criminal. And that is the way it should be. Because the FBI, like our government, is created by the people, for the people. It is the people. Have you ever said to yourself, no, I can't possibly buy an extra war bond. And then you find yourself thinking of someone you know in the Army or Navy, your son, your brother, your neighbor. And you think, what are your sacrifices compared to his? And so somehow or other you find the money for that extra war bond. Remember the extra satisfaction you felt? Well, that's how members of the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States feel about the special campaign their society is conducting this month. 
All premium dollars received from new equitable policies written in April will be matched with an equal number of dollars by the equitable, and the combined total will be used to purchase extra war bonds during the seventh war loan drive in May. Remember, these war bonds will be over and above the equitable's other purchases, which amounted to the largest single subscription in both the fifth and sixth war loan drives. In wartime, equitable dollars are fighting dollars, and at all times they are security dollars for you, your home, your country. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. In tonight's cast, Sally was played by Leslie Woods and Hadley by Mandel Kramer. The music was under the direction of Van Cleave. The author was Lawrence MacArthur, and your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time for this is your FBI. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley. Time now for The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix. Human beings are improvident creatures, heedless of the future. And thus, banks in this country have had to devise painless inducements for thrift. One of these is the Christmas Club, whereby you deposit a small sum every week for 52 weeks, and then just before Christmas, you go to the teller's window, present your Christmas Club book, and withdraw your savings in a lump sum, which enables you to buy Christmas presents for your friends, who, on receiving them, will exclaim, Ah, what a cheapskate. <laughs> Standing in line now at the teller's window is Chester A. Riley, who joined the Christmas Club 52 weeks ago. Mrs. Medbury? Yes, that's right. Here you are, $104. I'll take it in 20. Uh, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, and 1, 2, 3, 4. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Mr. Roberts? J.J. Roberts. $150, right? Right. I'll take it in 20. 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 20, 40, and 10 is 50. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Same to you. Who's next? Uh, me. Riley's the name. May I see your passbook? Passbook? I think I got it. Oh, yeah. Here. Hmm. You get $2. I'll take it in 20s. Two dollars You only made one deposit all year Is that all? Well, I thought I made uh, I guess it slipped my mind Only two dollars huh? I'm afraid that's all But what about interest? Ha! 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 That's what I thought <laughs> Well, I'll take the two dollars Just a minute There's a 75 cent charge for the passbook Oh Well, okay, I'll just 75 cent penalty for failure to make a minimum of ten weekly payments Oh. Well, okay. I'll, and I'll a seventy-five cent service charge for mailing notices. Okay, okay. Just give me. You owe us twenty-five cents. <laughs> I owe you. T no wonder on the window it says ten billion dollars reserved. 
Now I know where you get it from. Mr. Riley, you... All right, all right. Here's your quarter. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Ah, the same to you. Now, let's get this shopping list finished. Uh, later, Peggy. But there's only a few days left till Christmas. Oh, I hate last-minute shopping. Yeah, everything is gone, and all you can buy is junk. Now, come on, Riley. You write the list. Uh, okay, but let's try not to go overboard on presents this year. I, I ain't a millionaire, you know. But we got the Christmas Club money. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, thank goodness. You know, dear, that was a wonderful idea of yours. Yeah, it was a wonderful idea. Don't forget Babs and me chipped in every week. And a good thing, too. It'll teach you a lesson in thrift. Yeah, it'll teach them a lesson, all right. <laughs> How much have we got in the club? Huh? Oh, about... We uh, should have $104. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> More or less. Well, what about the interest? Ha, ha, ha. Don't count on interest. Well, did you withdraw the money from the bank? Well, no, not, not yet. Well, uh, don't forget. Do it tomorrow. This will be the first Christmas we won't have to watch every penny. I think I'll go for a walk. <laughs> now, wait a minute, dear. we got to do this list. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see now. First, the Morrises. What do you think they'd like? Well, they're both crazy about tennis. Well, how about giving them a tennis ball? <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. A tennis ball only costs 60 cents. Well, it ain't the gift. It's the thought behind it. I know what to get him. Trudy's redecorating her dining room. We'll get her something for the table, maybe. How about a nice box of toothpicks? <laughs> oh, stop clowning. Who's clowning? They're made of the finest lumber. <laughs> Look, Riley, we can get along without you. You go for your walk. We'll drop this list alone. Well, just go easy. Don't make that list too long. What are you worrying about? The big trick is to shop wisely. Yeah. You'll be surprised what we can do with that Christmas club money. Yeah, I'll be surprised, all right. Gillis! Oh, Gillis! Yeah, Ronnie! Are you home? Yeah, I'm home in here, Ronnie. Oh. Oh, hi, Gillis. Oh, you're trimming your tree, huh? Yeah, hand me some of them there belts there, will you? Where? Oh, these? Yeah, thanks. I get a big kick out of trimming a tree. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Listen, Gillis. Nothing like Christmas, you know. Yeah, sure. Look, I. Sort of gets you, you know what I mean? Inside of you. You feel good. Yeah, I know. Look, I. Warm. You kind of have a glow inside. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm in a spot. Goodwill toward man. Now, that ain't no baloney. On Christmas, I really look at people different. Gillis, what I'm getting at. People ain't just people anymore. They're my brothers. And I'm filled with the spirit of giving. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, you see. I feel like stopping some bum on the street. Some bum and holding out my hand and saying, Brother, take everything I got. Gillis, can you lend me a hundred dollars? I feel like it, but I don't do it. <laughs> Why encourage bums? But look, Gillis, I gotta have some dough. Get lost, will you? You're turning me down, your best friend. You just said you'd give to a bum. Well, with a bum, I got a 50-50 chance of getting it back. With you, I know I won't. Well, it's only for a couple of days. I'll be getting my Christmas bonus from the boss at the plant. Come on, just 60, uh, 50 bucks, huh? Where am I going to get that kind of a dough? Two days before Christmas, I'm broke. Well, I got to get hold of some dough. Pe Peg is home now, right now, the list of stuff to buy. Hey, didn't you? 
Yeah, last year you told me you joined up with a Christmas club. What happened? I didn't pay my dues, so they kicked me out of the club. Please, Gillis, just loan me 40 bucks. I'm begging you. Look, Riley, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a grown man begging. Don't beg. Do what any other self-respect a married man would do. Hock something of your wife's. <laughs> wife? Yeah, jewelry, you know, a wedding ring. How much could I get on Peg's wedding ring? It only costs $5 to start with. <laughs> only $5? Yeah, that's all she paid for it. <laughs> well, ain't she got no other jewelry? No, she ain't got... Hey, wait a minute. She's got an old brooch of her grandmother's. Yeah, wait anything? Well, it's supposed to be. It's a real antique. She never wears it. Oh, but what's the use of talking? If I pawn it, she'll find out. She don't have to know. You mean take it and not tell her what? Why, that's stealing. No, nothing doing. You won't be stealing. Just marry it when she ain't looking. <laughs> no, I can't do that to pay. Just for a few days. When you collect your bonus, you can redeem it and put it back. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Just for a few days. And I'm really doing it for the sake of the family. You can't call that stealing. It's really borrowing. Sure, it's just a loan, that's all. Well, sure, you might say I'm just liquidating hidden assets. I'm just transferring the collateral. Kind of fiscal fiduciary. <laughs> Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go steal that brooch. Should be here somewhere. You sure she ain't wearing it? Nah, she never wears it. It's too fancy. It's somewhere in this bedroom. Better hurry up and find it. Yeah, Peg will be home soon. Did you look in this here drawer here? Well, how can I? It's locked. Dope. That's where it must be. Yeah, well, I ain't got the key. Well, pull on it. These locks ain't strong. Well, this one is. Let me try. Uh. There. Now look what you've done. It's splintered. You can glue it back later. Look for the brooch. Uh, should be in here. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, that's it. Hey, it's got diamonds. Oh, sure, this is the real thing. That's fake. Oh, I'm so tired I can drive. I've never seen this door so crowded. Let's get out of here. Not that way. She'll see us, sir. The window. But, but the room, it's all a mess. We'll clean it later. Get going. Come on, open the window. I can't. It's stuck. Let me try. <laughs> Look what you've done. You'll fix it later. Oh, it sounded like glass breaks. She hit us. Out the window. Come on. Hurry, hurry. Well, it sounded like it came from the bedroom. Now run for it. grandmother. And the setting's old-fashioned. So is my grandmother. <laughs> it's worth around a thousand dollars, huh? Well, it's got some good stones in it. Well, it's probably worth fifteen hundred. Well, not quite. I'll give you a hundred dollars. I'll take it.
Jacques. I better clean up the bedroom. Oh, oh, it's you, Riley. Hey. I didn't hear you come in. Riley, we were robbed. Robbed? Well, now, don't be silly. My brooch is gone. Well, maybe you misled it. Oh, no, no, it was stolen. I heard the thief. Now, Peg, believe me, we weren't robbed. Oh, Riley, use your eyes. Look at this room. Clothing all over the place, pulled out of the drawers. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah those California moths. Uh, uh. Riley, <laughs> this is no joke. We were robbed. Well, well. Oh, that reminds me. Here's the money from the Christmas club. Oh, never mind that now. I tell you, we were robbed. and You act as if it's something that happened every day. Yeah, uh, that's right. I should do something. And, and don't you worry. I will. You leave it to me, Peg. Well, where are you going? I'll handle this. Who are you phoning? Hello, Gillis talking. Hello. Oh, it's you, Ray. Police headquarters. What? Are you nuts? Don't call the police. Officer, I want to report a robbery. Since when does a crook report his own robbery? <laughs> Approach was stolen from Chester A. Now, Riley, 1313 Bluegill Terrace. I, I already called Peg, the I can't police. hear a word hey, you're hey, saying. Hey. Wait until I'm through phoning. But, Riley... Now, look, Sergeant. Riley, you gone for You judge. catch that crook in 24 hours. Goodbye. Riley, why don't you listen to me? I told you oh, that I... Just a minute, Peg, the door. Good evening. I'm Sergeant Henderson, police headquarters. What a department. They certainly moved fast ever since the shake-up. <laughs> Riley, I called the police before you got here. Oh. Mrs. Riley? Uh, yes? We believe we found your brooch. Is this it? Oh, yes. Where did you get it? The thief pawned it only an hour ago. Did you catch him? Not yet. <laughs> What's that? I said, not yet. No, but we will. The pawnbroker gave us a very good description. He did? I have a hunch it might be someone in the neighborhood. Oh, no, no, it couldn't be. This is a nice, respectable neighborhood. Well, anyway, I'd like to give you his description. Uh, you may remember seeing him around. He's about five foot ten. Five foot ten. <laughs> Riley, what are you doing on your knees? I, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for something. Blue eyes. How can you look for something with your eyes closed? Blonde hair. I'm looking for my hat. It's on your head. Thank heaven for that. Oh, what's the matter with you? He weighs about 170. He said his grandmother gave it to him. Never mind. I know who it is. You do? Chester Riley. Now, wait a minute, Peg. I can explain the whole thing. I don't quite understand. Riley. Well, I, I just borrowed it j j just for a few days. I needed the money. I, I didn't want you to find out there's no money in the Christmas club, so... Oh, no! No, I take that back! No. <laughs> but, but every week we all gave you money. Yeah, well, I borrowed that, too. <laughs> you borrowed that, too? Okay, Sergeant, I'll go quietly. Take me to jail. Well, if Mrs. Riley prefers charges, uh, Mrs. Riley? No. No charges. I'll handle this in my own way. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, good night, ma'am. No, Sergeant, wait! Chester Riley, when I get through with you... Sergeant, come back! As a taxpayer, I demand that you arrest me. I'm entitled to protection. <laughs> and now, back to The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley with Paula Winslow and John Brown. 
Craig. Babs. Oh, well, you're eating already. I'm sorry I'm late for supper. I stopped in at that stool pigeon. I, I mean, pawnbroker, and, and redeemed the... Here's your brooch. Okay. Well, take it. Go on, thank you. I'll put it in your purse. Okay, okay, you don't have to tear my hand off. Put it in yourself. I wasn't going to take anything. Well, might as well sit down and eat. What's for supper, say? Uh, what are you eating there, Junior? <laughs> Is that pot roast beds? Well, you might answer me when I talk to you. Fine thing, I come into my own house and nobody says a word to me. Not even hello. I'm the head of this house and I insist that somebody say hello. Hello. That's better. <laughs> oh, no, no, you have the wrong number. Now, look here, Peg. I'm entitled to some respect. Respect? You want respect after what you did? Well, I just took the brooch. I'm to... not talking about the brooch. But Babs and Junior trusted you. Every week they gave you their nickels and dimes. We saved it out of our allowance. Well, who gave you your allowance anyway? Mom did. <laughs> just wanted to make sure you knew. <laughs> we trusted you, Daddy. And you took their money and, and stole it. I didn't steal it. No? Well, what would you call it? Embezzlement? <laughs> I really meant to deposit the money. I, I just borrowed it. But I would have put it back, only Christmas came so sudden this year. <laughs> Some Christmas. No presents. Yeah, we got a tree and nothing under it. What will people think? Well, is that all you care about? What people think? My boss will be dropping in Christmas morning to hand me my bonus check. How will it look? Well, whose fault is it? That's beside the point. We got to do something. Just don't try pawning the furniture. <laughs> oh, I'll think of something. I ain't going to have no naked tree in my house. Oh, hi, Muley. Merry Christmas. Yeah, same to you. So long. Merry Christmas. Fine Christmas I'm having. I'd have a merrier Christmas if I was in Forest Lawn. Would you care to bet? <laughs> huh? It is I, Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. <laughs> oh, I didn't recognize you, Digger. What are you doing dressed up as Santa Claus? Oh, I do this every year. Uh -huh. I solicit contributions for the UEPJYS. U-E-P-J-Y-S. The Undertakers, Embalmers, and Pallbearers, Jolly Yuletide Society. <laughs> Charity, you know. <laughs> Our slogan is, help a body get on its feet. <laughs> I stand on the corner here and I ring my little bell. Listen. <laughs> That's very jolly. I see you've been doing a lot of shopping. No. Oh, you mean these boxes? There's nothing in them. You, you got any empty boxes, Digger? No. Every box down at my place is filled. <laughs> I'm giving away a lot of gifts this year. 
Why do you need boxes? Oh, just an idea I got. I, I think I have enough. Well, I'd better get on home. Merry Christmas, Digger. The same to you and a happy new year. I wish you happiness, prosperity, and a long life. And believe me, I don't say that to everyone. <laughs> well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. I'm in the living room, Peg. Well, what are you doing? Riley, what are those packages? Uh, presents for the family. Well, where did you get the money? Now, to... Don't get excited. There's nothing in them. <laughs> but they're wrapped so beautifully. I did it. I bought some paper and ribbon. If people drop in and see all these boxes, they'll think it's presents. They, they won't know it's really empty. <laughs> that's used in my head, huh? And that's empty, too. <laughs> I guess it is, only it ain't wrapped as pretty. <laughs> Riley. Oh, Mom. Hey, look at all the presents. Oh, where'd they come from? Don't get excited, children. They're empty boxes. But they got tags with writing on them. That's right. I, I always say if you do a thing, do it right. This one here's from you, Peg, to me. It's supposed to be an electric blanket. The card says, to my darling husband, may this keep him as warm as my burning love for him. Brother. And this one here says, to the best daddy in the world from his loving children. Cute, eh? Well, it's just an idea. This one here is for you, Junior. Gee, that's a funny-looking package. So long and thin. It's supposed to be a baseball bat. Oh, I wanted a football. I'll make it a football. <laughs> and this here is for you, Peg. Both of them. I, I got two boxes for you. Hmm. It was very generous of you. Card says, to my loving wife, a merry, merry Christmas. Well, Riley, what are you crying about? That's the way I am. I get so much joy out of giving. <laughs> What time is it, Peg? Half past eleven. You better go and eat some breakfast. I ain't hungry. Stevenson should be here by now. Maybe he's not coming this year. He better come. I'm counting on that bonus. Why are you all sitting there looking at me like that? This is a fine Christmas morning. Everybody's sitting around like it's my funeral. Hey, here comes your boss, Pop. That's his car. Huh? Yeah, that's it. I told you he'd show up. Now smile, will you? All of you. Remember, it's Christmas. and <laughs> Merry Christmas, boss. Merry Christmas, Riley. Come in. Come in. Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Stevenson. My, what a beautiful tree. Look at all those beautiful packages. Say, you haven't opened them yet. Uh, well, no. <laughs> we, we didn't get around to it. Well, yet. what are we waiting for? Let's open them. No, no. <laughs> Come on, Riley. I love to open presents. No, don't. Pay, pay, t t yes, let's open them. Oh. <laughs> hey, Riley, this big one's for you. This is yours, Junior. Here's yours, Babs. Well, go on, Riley. Open Huh? Yeah, I guess Well, look at that. An electric blanket. Yeah, an electric blanket. An electric blanket? <laughs> but how did... I, I can't understand. How did... How could it be this football? Beautiful handbag. Oh, thanks, Riley, darling. Yeah, but yesterday they were empty and... 
Holy smoke, I never believed it, but there is a Santa Claus. Oh, well, how else did it... Oh, Peg. Peg, you went and... Oh, Dumplin', you filled... Oh, you're sweet. Well, I've got to be running along now, folks. Goodbye. No, wait, 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 wait. What? Yes? <laughs> did, did, didn't you forget something? Well, let's see. Coat, hat, gloves, cane. Oh, I've got everything. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No, I, I didn't mean that. I, I meant, well, it's Christmas. It's, you know, Christmas. <laughs> oh, 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 of course. Stupid of me. Merry Christmas. What a cheapskate. A whole year I slave for him and he don't even give me a bonus. I was counting on the bonus. Not for myself. I, I wanted to give it all to you, Dumplin'. Just goes to show you can't depend on nobody except your family. Oh, it was, it was wonderful what you'd done, Peg, surprising me like this. I don't know where you got that money to buy all... <laughs> Peg, you, you didn't... The bo not 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 my bonus. You you didn't take <laughs> Mom sure put one over on you, Pop. She got the bonus from your boss yesterday. You stole my bonus. <laughs> what? You embezzled my bonus? I what? You borrowed my bonus and you're welcome to it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, dear. I'll tell you one thing, Peg. What happened this Christmas taught me a lesson. I should think so. We won't have no trouble with our Christmas fun next year. Uh, this next year, I was thinking we will we'll save three dollars a week. Huh? Oh, hey, Bob. Yeah. wonderful! Okay, now let's shell out for the first deposit. Here's my dollar. Well, here's my fifty cents. Here's mine. And here's my dollar. Fine. Now, first thing tomorrow, I'll go to the bank and open. A... Hey, Peg. Wait, wait a minute, Peg. What are you taking that money for? I'll put it in the bank. This time, we'll keep it right here in the cream jug, where I can keep an eye on it. <laughs> well, what's the matter with you, Peg? Don't you trust banks? <laughs> Folks, this is Riley, alias William Bendix. All of us, Peg, Babs, Junior, and Digger, are happy to be with you in this warm and wonderful holiday season. You've all been good friends, all you folks everywhere. In the big cities and the little towns and the farms and the ranches all over the USA. Yes, and the boys who are all over the world tonight in uniform. We're thinking of you and hoping you'll be home soon. Our sponsors, the makers of Pabs Blue Ribbon, join us in wishing you, wherever you are, a Merry Christmas. It's a real thrill to be able to send a holiday greeting to so many people all at once. So let me say again to the friends of the Rileys and Pabs Blue Ribbon everywhere, a very Merry Christmas. Oh, it's the life of Riley when it's Pabs Blue Ribbon you drink. The finest beer served anywhere, so let the glasses clink. Oh, east or west or north or south, there's nothing like it at all. Yes, you're living the life of Riley when for Pabs Blue Ribbon you call. When for Pabs Blue 
Blue Ribbon invites you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker by arrangement with Universal International Pictures, now releasing South Sea Sinner, starring Shelley Winters and McDonald Carey. Tonight's script is by Reuben Shipp and Alan Lipscott. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger Odell is John Brown. Babs is Barbara Eiler. Junior is Bobby Ellis. And Mr. Stevenson is Alan Reed. Consult your local paper for the correct time of the Life of Riley show on television over NBC each week. Next, it's Jimmy Durante with Don Amici on NBC. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Sam Spade and Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.